Welcome everyone to A Pushing History, episode 11. Today, we will be discussing the politics of the Civil War. My name is Dylan Bryan, and I am joined by two Civil War political experts, Anshul Chalaparath and Sam Kugzella, today to discuss about the topic. Hello, Dylan. Hello, everyone, and thank you for having us, Dylan. My pleasure. Now... In the previous podcast, we discovered that many political disagreements catalyzed and led up to the bloodiest conflict in American history. Angel, what were the politics looking like in the Union during the war? Well, Dylan, with war comes, of course, violence, grief, and death. In the Union, a faction of Democrats in Congress called the Peace Democrats, or more properly known as the Copperheads, sprung up. They explicitly opposed the Civil War and wished for a speedy and immediate peace settlement with the Confederates that seceded. The initial goal of the war for most people in the Union was to preserve it, and the Copperheads hoped to do it without bloodshed. The term Copperhead, actually, was coined by the Republicans to refer to the Democrats as the Venomous Snake. They gave this name because, they are, because by trying to reach an immediate peace settlement, it would mean that the Union would have to agree to Southern terms. This also meant that all the lives lost in the war at the time would all be in vain. And keep in mind, Dylan, this is the bloodiest war in American history. Clement Vallandigham was a leader of the Copperheads. Clement was also an Ohio politician who served two terms in the House of Representatives. He intensely despised abolitionists and New Englanders, who he blamed for causing the war. With his beliefs for immediate peace, it made him an attractive political choice on one end of the political spectrum and an outright horrible option on the other end of the spectrum. Clement was eventually arrested for treason for sympathizing with the enemy and stood trial, found guilty, and sentenced to imprisonment. However, Lincoln changed his sentence to deport him behind Confederate lines. Though the Southerners didn't want him either. Clement is a man wishing for peace and union in a government wishing for war and independence from the Union. So he eventually moves up to Canada and then returns to Ohio to run for governor. While Clement is in Congress, he explicitly critiques Abraham Lincoln and his policies. For example, Clement himself writes one of the worst despotisms on earth. In this document, he criticizes Lincoln's policies of conscription, the suspension of habeas corpus, and the Emancipation Proclamation. Interesting. So the Northern Democrats were hoping for peace and no bloodshed, but at the cost of preserving slavery. Additionally, Clement Vallandigham denounced Lincoln and his administration's policies for denying the same liberties that were guaranteed by the Constitution. Sam, can you please explain to me why Lincoln took these extreme measures and denied basic rights despite the war? During the time, war called for extreme measurements from the Union to lead to and ensure victory. One of this measure was to suspend habeas corpus. Now, habeas corpus is written that an arrested person be brought before a judge or court before being charged or imprisoned. A person must also be allowed to know under what violation or offense they are being charged for. 
This was the first time a president suspended this right. Lincoln suspended this in Maryland in April 1861. As we know, Washington, D.C. sits between Virginia and Maryland along the Potomac River. Richmond, Virginia was home to the capital of the Confederacy since Virginia was, pr was a pretty populous, wealthy, and stable state. So we already have the capitals of both sides near its borders. In fact, just across the river. Then we see that Maryland begins leaning toward the south as a pro-slavery state. If Maryland seceded from the Union, this would mean that Washington, D.C. would be surrounded by the enemy and cut off from the north. Therefore, Lincoln had to ensure Maryland would not secede by suspending habeas corpus to arrest southern sympathizers. He even went on to close pro-southern medias and send troops to Maryland. 10,000 soldiers were stationed in Rockville and 8,000 in Laytonsville. With all these measures, Lincoln faced much criticism and threats. In fact, if we skip forward after the end of the American Civil War, there was a group of southern sympathizers from Maryland who plotted to assassinate Abraham Lincoln at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Wow, okay, so Abraham Lincoln basically declared martial law in Maryland and suspended their basic rights. However, if he didn't take these extreme measures, Washington, D.C. would have been completely surrounded. One specific document I'd like to discuss with you is the famous Emancipation Proclamation that was passed by Lincoln. How did that act affect the war, Anshul? The Emancipation Proclamation, which Lincoln did indeed pass in 1863 on January 1st, was created to abolish slavery only within the Confederate States. The document also decreed that free slaves could enlist in the Union Army, which in turn strengthened the Union's manpower during the war. Therefore, many African Americans fled to Union lines for freedom. Initially, Abraham's advisors did not support the proclamation. Lincoln's main goal with this document was to cripple the Confederacy's economy since it was heavily slave-dependent, but he still did believe that slavery was morally wrong too. A major thing the Emancipation Proclamation accomplished was that it changed the focus of the war from preserving the Union to now including the freedom of slaves. Through that, it helped prevent European powers from involving in the war. Countries such as Britain and France consider supporting the Confederacy to expand their influence in the Western Hemisphere, and since the South was the world's largest con exporter. In fact, 75% of it. But many Europeans were against slavery. Therefore, no countries wanted to intervene on the, on the side of a lost cause. The Emancipation Proclamation did not completely lift slavery, but it was a major step towards freedom and equality for all, no matter what race you were. Okay, great. The Emancipation Proclamation not only freed the slaves, it also crippled the Confederacy's economy, helped shift the idea of the war to a moral one, and kept European powers from interfering. With war comes the need for fresh soldiers. In order to fulfill that demand, the Union passed the first Conscription Act later in March of 1863. Sam, can you describe the details of that act and the outcome of it? Of course. The Conscription Act that was passed by Congress required Union states to draft men into the military for the Civil War, on the condition if the state did not meet the enlistment quota with volunteers, men from the ages of 20 to 45 were considered for the draft. However, if you were drafted and did not want to go, you could a fee you could pay a fee of three hundred dollars, which is about six thousand dollars in today's economy, 
or hire someone to fill your spot. This is one of those times where the rich just got their way, and because of the drafts, riots took place, specifically in New York City. The arrival of the draft officers catalyzed rioting in the city. In the northern economy, many new immigrants and poor people worked factory jobs and didn't make very much money. With the passing of the Emancipation Proclamation, tensions grew as white people feared that the soon-to-be-free African Americans would steal their jobs. The people also disliked how the war shifted to an abolitionment instead of union preservation. Now they were being for now they were being forced to fight for it. Now we have to understand that even though the Norse goal ended up changing to abolitionment with the Emancipation Proclamation, both sides were still very racist, as we will see in the Jim Crow era. Now, if we look on the Confederate side, they too passed a conscription act called the Twenty Negro Law in 1862. In it, the Confederate Congress exempts those whose occupations are essential to the war effort. Anyone who had more than twenty slaves were exempt from military service. Eventually, the Congress revised the act and, re and reduced the number to 15. This goes to show how in the South, the Civil War was a rich man's war but a poor man's fight. Fascinating. These conscription acts cause outrage on both sides of the war because both acts profit and save the rich. In the Union, northern men were required to enter the draft unless you had $300 to pay a fee to get out of it, or if someone else wanted to fill your spot. In the South, if you owned 20 or more slaves, you didn't even have to join the military, even though many other men were out there on the battlefield fighting for you. The way you said that, Sam, sums it up quite perfectly. It's a rich man's war, but a poor man's fight. Lastly, I would like to briefly discuss about the Republican campaigning in the election of 1864 and their campaign tactics, which were waving the bloody shirt. Anshul, can you please explain to me those tactics? Absolutely. The waving the bloody shirt was an icon used during the election of 1864 by the Republicans. It was used to instigate the remembrance of the bloody civil war that was going on in the country. Through it, the icon shows Lincoln's firmness in the face of war, secession, and moral injustice of slavery. It made Lincoln seem like a tough, determined, and relentless man who could lead the nation once again. The waving of the bloody shirt was also used to criticize the Copperheads. Since the Democrats wanted immediate peace, it displaced them in the opposite way. Weak, undetermined, and most importantly, treasonous. They were ready to give up the war to the South even after so many Americans died in the Civil War. With use of a simple expression, the Republicans were able to bolster themselves up in the election and diminish the Democrats too. So, this is how Lincoln was re-elected in 1864, even though the war was still going on. Well, thank you Angela and Sam for coming in today to discuss about these interesting politics during the Civil War. Anytime. My pleasure. And that concludes our episode today on the politics of the Civil War on A Pushing History. Please consider watching more episodes on our SoundCloud page. And thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you another time.